0: Father, we start this morning under your word. And once again, Father, we are reminded through this, these, these verses that it is you who brings life. It is you who brings growth. It is you who brings sanctification and salvation and sanctification. Father, as Paul says, I am just a worker of your field. Father, I am, these words that I, that, that I preach are just are just things that you have assigned me to do. The real growth, the transformation, it comes from you. So Lord, we pray, Lord, that as as we we pray that this word, these words will not be wasted this morning. We pray, Lord, that these words will persuade, convict, give hope, challenge, and ultimately, Father, these words will reveal you this morning. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series on 1 Corinthians. And um, these verses that we studied today, um, and the verses that we studied last week, um, if you think about it, they're kind of, I mean, all gospel is offensive, but they're kind of offensive, and a lot offensive to the, to, the, to the modern people. Because what Paul is doing in these two verses um, chapter two and chapter three. He's saying there's only two types of people in the world. Um, I think the reason why Christianity is offensive to a lot of people is because they say it's overly simplistic. Modern people like different shades of gray. They don't like right and wrong, right? There's like you know there's like you know a lot of gray areas. They don't like being so reductive, right? Reducive, like right and wrong. But Paul says, Paul is saying there's only two types of people in the world. Those who are spiritual. And those who are natural. That's it. There's only two that people those who are spiritual and those who are natural. And we studied what the spiritual person basically is, according to uh 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is they are the people who are attuned to the Spirit of God. Right? If you think if you think about it, they have like spiritual radars up. They have spiritual antennas up. And their spiritual antennas are receptive to the things of God the work of the Holy Spirit, right? The way that a person becomes saved is God works in his heart so they'll be able to receive God's truth, they'll be able to receive the Holy Spirit's testimony, they'll be able to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spiritual people are the people whose spiritual antennas are up and they're able to listen, to be sensitive to the things of God. Natural people, the Sukiko people that Paul talks about in chapter 2, are people who are naturally born in the world, and they, are, they don't have spiritual antennas to be receptive to the things of God. The suki people, the natural person, what the natural person only thinks about is the things of this world. Things, occurrences of the world, their position in this world, their security in this world, their happiness in this world, they are strictly only concerned about their well-being in this place. Right? Don't get me wrong. Natural-minded people sometimes agree with the things of the Bible, right? They love, for example, the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated, they say. To the natural person, that seems good. Certain truths of the Bible, Proverbs and stuff, to the natural person, these these things seems good. But actual wisdom of God in Jesus Christ, natural person cannot receive it. No matter what you teach, no matter how practical advice that you can give, unless their spiritual antennas are up, they are unable to receive the things of God. So there is the spiritual people, and they're the natural folks. There are the Corinthians. We, they have a lot of problems. right? And that's what we talked about for the last few weeks. They're prideful, they're fighting, they're jealous, right? You know, sexually immoral, some of them. Very worldly. And if you look at the Corinthian, I want to say, surely they're worldly. Surely they're natural folk. Because the way they're acting, they're acting like natural folk. They're acting like people who do not know Jesus Christ. But it is interesting that Paul doesn't say that they're natural folk. Paul calls them brothers. Isn't it interesting? That's what he says in verse 1, right? Verse 1, but brothers. He calls them brothers. Not, you know, people who are outside of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 5, people refer to the world as people who are outside of God. He doesn't refer to the Corinthians as outsiders. He calls them brothers. Really? These prideful, fighting, sexually immoral people? Not only that, in chapter 1, he calls them Saints. What? What's a saint? Saint is a person who is called by God, who belongs to God. That's a saint. Paul calls them saints. In verse 1, Paul describes them as people who are in Christ. Once again, prideful, fighting, jealous, sexually immoral people, Paul, calls them the, Paul tells them that they are in Christ. What does that mean? How can that be? By the way they act, but Paul still calls them brothers, saints in Christ. How do you explain the discrepancy? In our minds, we think it's simple. Either whether you're spiritual or you're natural, there is nothing. That's Paul's argument. But what do you do about the Corinthians? Who act like the world and yet Paul calls them brothers. Is enigma. What are we to make of this? That's the purpose of today's sermon. Very exciting, huh? Let's go. In order to describe why Paul calls them brothers and saints and those who are in Christ, what the work of Christ actually involved. To understand what Paul means when he says the Corinthians brothers, we need to go back and review the plan of salvation. Right? What Jesus Christ actually accomplished. What is, why did Jesus Christ come into the world 2,000 years ago? According to Matthew, Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins. So it is to, for, for, for him to rescue from our sins that he came. Jesus Christ came to rescue, rescue us from our sins. Then What is sin? What is the definition of sin? Maybe for those of you, some of you, this is a review. For those of you who are relatively new, this is good stuff. Then what is sin? Sin is more than an immoral behavior. The definition of sin in Hebrew it means missing the mark. There is a standard. There is a standard out there. And what sin is, is that we don't meet that standard. What is the standard? What is God's standard that He establishes in the universe? His righteous, what are God's righteous holy standards? These righteous holy standards are reflected, for example, in the Ten Commandments. First commandment is, recognize that there is only one God. And you're not it, and I'm not it. There there is only one God, and He is God. That's the first commandment. The first commandment is to recognize. The first standard is to recognize that in the universe, you are not God. There is only one living, true God. Recognizing Him, worshiping Him, giving, giving thanks to Him. That is the first standard that we must recognize. Another standard that God has given us in the Ten Commandments, for example, is don't hate. Don't hate. Don't murder people physically. Don't murder people emotionally. Don't murder people with your words. Another standard that is reflected in the Ten Commandments don't lust after people. Don't use them for your sexual gratification. Don't consume them. Right? That's what it is. Don't lust. Another standard we've looked in the Ten Commandments, be truthful, don't lie. Be truthful. Another standard, don't be jealous, don't be envious, don't be covetous of the people who have better things than you. These are examples of God's righteous, good standard. And if you live in accordance to the standards, guess what, you will live because your life is in conformity to the standard of the world. When our spirit when our personal the physical spiritual lives are in conformity to God's right to standard, we live, we flourish. Like example is like, like the example that I came into my mind, my car, because it's such a great fancy, you know, I'm a lawyer Honda Accord car, right? It's a very fancy car, Honda Accord. Right? I'm very proud of my car. And I don't know about your car. My car is so fancy. It has different, it's automatic, but it has different gears to it right? Do you guys have that? There is the, what's the S drive? I don't know what, what the S is and I don't know what the D is, right? D is drive, right? I don't know what the S is about. But sometimes when I drive my car, I put it in an S and I try to like floor it, but it doesn't go. I'm like, what the, why isn't it moving? And I look at it and it's an S gear. So I'm going to put it in D gear to go. To do what I want to do, the car has to conform, like my driving behavior has to conform to the car's design. When I, when, my car conform, when I drive and conform to the car's design, I get a lot, a lot more use out of my car. It is when our spiritual, intellectual, emotional, spiritual lives are in conformity to the standards of God, we flourish. We live. But what is sin? Sin is not recognizing these standards. The first thing about sin is, you're not God. There's only one true God. And we think, yeah, you're not it. That's what's that's the, the, and the, the first part of sin is not recognizing that God is God. It's not recognizing the whole universe revolves around him and his word and his law. He's thinking, like, no, you're, your standard is not right. And second as for sin is not only you don't recognize God is God, you recognize his standards are false. His standards are ridiculous. Things about lust, things about hate, things about jealousy, things about envy, all these things in your heart you think is ridiculous and it's wrong, you want to make your own standard. That's what what sin is. Not only do you not meet the standard of God, you think God's standard is ridiculous. What me too. Not just you, me, right? That's what sin is. And these things that we do, if we don't conform to God's standard, then there is a real casualty to these things. Not conforming to God's standard, it it not only causes us pain inside, it causes the pain to the people around us. There are definite casualties of not conforming to God's standard. But not only are we sinful, not only do we not recognize God's standard, not only do you think God's standard is foolish, the Bible also talks about the fact that we we are slaves to sin. We are under the power of sin. What is the power of sin? Ephesians 2. Power of sin is... Because we're fallen on the inside. We listen to our desires of the flesh, desires of the mind. We're prisoners of the desires of our flesh and desires of our minds. Because we're prisoners of the desires of our flesh and desires of our minds, we, we, we listen to the enemies that are outside of us. Who are the enemies that are outside of us? It is the devil and the world. Ephesians 2, there are three enemies that we have. It is the devil, the world, and our flesh. And when, we're, when we don't recognize God's standard, we are prisoners to our desires of the flesh and the desires of our minds. And when we are prisoners of the desires of our flesh and desires of our minds, then whatever Satan in the world tells us, we agree with them. Satan says, hey, you know, watch that movie that's so, so wrong and stuff. And your flesh goes, yeah, I want to watch it. Yeah, we're in agreement. We're the same mind. So yeah, Satan says do it. I want to do it. Let's do it. What, are, what, 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 are, what we are on the inside, to be slaves of sin, is what we are on the inside, it's not only conforming to, the, to Satan, but is conforming to the world. What the world says it is makes more sense to us than what God says the world is. So, I had a, you know, I had a, um, conversation with a, with a with a liberal Christian, right? I hope he's not listening, right? If you're listening, this is not about you, even though it is, right? And he says, you know, he was, we were arguing about the veracity of the word of God, whether you take it literally or not, whether you take it seriously or not, right? So this liberal Christian, what he does is he deconstructs the Bible. What it means he takes the Bible and rather than trying to figure out what it says, he deconstructs it. He says, well, based upon modern science and modern views, these words cannot possibly mean what they mean on the page. So he deconstructs it. And And so he's like, we're talking about the Bible, right? And I said, look, then if you can't trust the Bible, how do you know what God is trying to tell us? If you can't trust the Ten Commandments, If you can't trust the sexual ethic of the Bible, for example, how do you know what God's will is? He says, well, it's simple. You look at culture, right? You look at what the culture thinks. That's the will of God. I go, what? He says, well, God works in human history, and the development of modern thought is God revealing his mystery to us. So in his mind, what the Bible itself says, it's not true, it's not really reliable. What he's saying is, modern culture, modern definition of sexual morality, modern definition of sex, modern definition of you know, holiness or whatever, that's true. And not the word of God. That's what sin does, right? Sin is saying, my desire says God is not true. The world says God is not true. Therefore, we're in agreement. That's what it means to be under the power of sin. You don't think God's true. The world and Satan doesn't think God's true. And you're in agreement. And the way you know that you're under the power of sin is if you think there's nothing wrong with you. If you think there's nothing wrong with the way you think, there's nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with your values. If your values is in direct reflection of who God is, if you think what you think and what God thinks are synonymous, the Bible is saying you're, you're under the power of sin. All of us do not meet God's standard. We think God's standard is absolutely foolish. And the result of it is there are real-life consequences to our sins. Are you with me so far? It's getting more exciting stuff. You've got to bear with me. We've got to lay the foundation, theological foundation here. So what does Jesus Christ come to do? He has come to rescue us from our sins. How does he do that? Number one, he atones for our sins. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins. What does atonement mean? Atonement means he pays a price for our sins. Look, back to the liberal, liberal theology. I, I won this argument. I was very proud of myself. Right? I win. And, and the argument that I win was this. He says he doesn't believe in God's punishment of sin. He says when God looks at us, he looks at us holy, special people. He cannot possibly want to punish us because we're so holy and special. I want to throw up. And I said, Yeah, well, maybe that's true. And maybe that's, I think it's true. I think what you said is true, I said. I think God thinks, regards every human being as special, holy, and true. But I said, Because every human being is special, holy, and true, any damage that we cause to another human being is who is special, holy, and true. Any damage that we cause to that human being is an unforgivable thing. He says, What do you mean? And I said, I'll give an example of a Ferrari. If I have a Ferrari, a smallest scratch to my Ferrari will anger the owner so much. If you ding my Honda Accord, you got to pay for it, but I'm not going to get mad. But if you ding my Ferrari, holy smokes. I was watching a YouTube channel yesterday and they were doing analysis of the cars that I should be driving according to income level. And according to the income level, I should be driving a Ferrari. I go, are you crazy? If you scratch it, I'm going to get so mad at you. Forget the pastor side. I'd be so mad. The more cost, costly, the more special thing, the smallest damage to it, is an insult, is an offense. That's what I told told my liberal Christian. Therefore, I said, the smallest damage that you cause to another human being, be it with your words, be it with your lust, be it with whatever it is, if you are using that person, if you're hurting that person, if you're damaging the person, will that not be an offense to God? And he lost words. I mean, yes, I won! It is true what you say, I said It is human beings are more special, more valuable than we can ever possibly realize. Therefore, the sin against it, sin against a human being, wives sin against your husbands, husband sins against your wife, Ch- parents sins against your children, Co- workers sins against your employer, all these sins are tremendous offense. And they cause such damage. Did you know that our sins cause such damage to the world? The things that we do to one another, things that we say to one another, it ripples throughout eternity. Did you know that? Sean will disagree with me, but the 20th century is perhaps the most violent century. Last century was perhaps one of the most violent centuries, right? Not the most death, Sean. The most violent century in in, in the history of humanity two world wars, like stuff, wacky, crazy things that they did in Russia and China, Korean War, Vietnam War. And sociologists say, what was the cause of such violence in the 20th century? Was it due to the madness of a few handful of men? They say no. The sociologist says 20th century was the most violent Due to the inaction or action of every individual. Every individual who lived in that century who permitted evil, who permitted hatred, who permitted lust, who permitted injustice. All these individual sins got together and caused the destruction of so many lives in the 20th century. Do you know the sins that you commit to one another, that we commit to one another? It isn't innocent, it isn't without any damage. It ripples throughout the universe. It bends the universe, it says. Do you know that? I told my liberal friend, it is fine that you say God is love. But the question is then, who's going to pay for the damage that we caused? You say, it's fine, liberal Christian, that you say God is love, God is forgiving, and all that stuff. But the question is, what, what are you doing about the damage that we caused to the universe? Who's going to pay for it? He says, well, God's just going to close his eyes and just forgive us. And I go, really? If you ding my Ferrari, I said, I can forgive you. I'll say I'll forgive you, but someone has to fix it. I can say that I forgive you and be bygones, be bygones, but either I will pay for it or you will pay for it. Who's going to pay for it, liberal Christian? He didn't have an answer for me. Yes, I won. Who's going to pay for the damage that you and I do? God himself did, you know. God himself did. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy and honor to honor you because you died for me, my king. The king of kings paid for our sins. He atoned for our sins. And because he atoned, he paid for our sins, we are redeemed. Which means God buys us back from sin and death. Redemption means, Christ as our redeemer means, he bought us back for God. And because Christ bought us us back for God, in the eyes of God, God declares us righteous. Because of the atoning, purchasing, redeeming work of Jesus Christ, when God looks at us positionally, in His eyes, we are righteous. We are declared righteous in the court of law. We are declared right by Him. Did you know that? Because of the work of Christ, when God looks at us, He says, that guy is righteous, that woman is righteous, he is right in my sight, therefore, that person is my child. From the perspective of God, we are made righteous and right, and children and heirs, it is wonderful. That's our eternal position. If you come in saving faith in Christ, your eternal position is you are right with God. And you are his child. And there's no one who can condemn you. There's no one who can take, you, take that position away from you. Once you believe in Christ, that righteous position in Christ, no one can take away. Understand that. That's our, for our position eternally. But what about our position now? That's the position, that's our current position. But our experience here is quite different. Even though our sins are forgiven, even though we are made righteous, we still experience sin. Why is that? It's because between now and to when we go to glory, God's purpose is, he, while we live in this world, He's going to sanctify us. What does sanctification mean? ification basically means he's going to work in our lives so that we will become what we already are. We are made righteous before him. Part of, the, part of our process in this world, is he's going to work things out in our lives so that more and more we will be conformed to what we already are, which is right in his sight. Does that make sense? Alistair Beck gave, 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 gave an example. He says, look, when you get married... Before God, you declare that this person, that you're going to be true to this person. Before public and God, you're going to say, I'm going to be true to this person. I'm going to be faithful to this person. And you make a declaration. But from that moment on, until your dying days, your call is to prove, is to, is to show that the commitment that you made that day is true. You made a commitment, and from that moment on, you will show, you will live every day of your every life Proving that the commitment is true. You are made righteous in the sight of God. But from this moment until the day we go to glory, God's going to work it out in our lives so that we will become what He declared us to be. And He's going to do it. Look, after we're saved, after we come to faith, saving faith in in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. The remnants of sin still remain. It's true even though we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, let's be, let's be honest, the old appetite of sin remains. It does, right? We, it's, like, it's like, you know, people who quit smoking, they say, even though after they quote, after even, even if 10, 15 years after quitting smoking, they still sometimes yearn for it. On a, on a cold, cold, dreary winter's night, after eating hot Korean soup, they go, yeah, I want to go outside and smoke. Evidently, that's the thing. After a stressful day, even though they have quit for 10, 15 years, they still remember the taste of cigarettes. The appetite for these things still remain. Even though we are made righteous in the sight of God, while we live in this fallen world, our appetite, we still remember the appetite of sin. And we struggle with it sometimes. Not only that, not only do we have sin, the appetite of sin still remain, the old categories that we use to look at the world remain the same. Which means the standard that we use to look at other people and in ourselves, the faulty categories that we use to judge other people and ourselves, it still remains in us. A big example I can give you is John Piper. He says, John Piper was saved when he was six years old. And he went to seminary and he, he, and he pastored But he realized when he he was in his 20s and 30s, he realized he was a racist. I mean, he wasn't like, you know, KKK racist, but he recognized racist tendencies. He says, I was raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee in the 1950s. When you're raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee in the 1950s, you inherit racist categories. And he he says, after I accepted Christ, after the Bible said, after I did all these things, he realized he still carried racist tendencies. He still had fallen categories of judging other people. And that's all of us. Yes, we're saved in Christ. Yes, we're made righteous in Christ. But we still oftentimes see things in sinful categories. We yearn for sin sometimes. We look at things with sinful categories sometimes. We're not under the power of sin anymore, which means we don't think these things are right. The way you know that you're under power of sin is if, you think, if there's nothing wrong with sin, then you're under its power. But the fact that you know there's something wrong with you, that's a good sign. So we're not under the dominion and power of sin, and yet we, the appetites of sin, the, the remembrance of sin, the categories of sin still remain. I think like I got saved when I was nineteen. I went to a retreat somewhere in University of Illinois or champaign Champaign. I remember I listened to a sermon in Romans chapter eight. I remember that night. It was like like a Saturday night. You know, like all all conversions happen on a Saturday night on a retreat, right? Friday night is the warm up. Saturday night they get the big guns out, right? Man, the big guns were out on Saturday night on a retreat. It's like God took a hammer in my skull and he he hammered it, and light began to come into my mind. Before then, I, I was a good Friday youth group going Christian kid but the gospel didn't make sense that night the gospel made sense it became it started to come into my mind but from then from the 19 year old pj until now looking back i did a lot of wacky things between the time i was 19 and now i looked judge people with the wrong categories i lusted after women what else did I do? My, step, my, my, my goal of life was to live the American dream. Like, all these things that I condemn, preach against, I did. From, my, from the moment I was saved until now, I realized that all these things, like, I'm just shocked that God didn't strike me dead. Does that mean that my conversion at 19 was not real? No. It started when I was 19. From 19 until now, until the day that I die, God has worked in me and God will continually work in me so that, so that I will become who he, want, who, he, who he has called me to be, which is His righteous Son. Are you with me right now? Are you with me? And that's how Paul explains. Paul is saying, Corinthians, you are saints. You are in Christ. You are my brothers. But Corinthians are babies. When I was a 19-year-old I was a baby. I was, I was born. I was born when I was 19 years old. I was an infant. I was spiritually infant, right? But now, but hopefully I'm growing. And that's what Paul is saying. Yes, you're not, they're not of the world, but, the, but they're infants. They're babies. But what is the problem with the Corinthians? Is that it's not, there's nothing wrong with being a baby. Because every single one of us had an infancy. If you're a Christian, every single one of us had a phase of infancy. But the problem with the Corinthians was that they still remained an infant. They're still babies, he says. And you are saved. And that's a good holy thing, praise the Lord. But the problem is they're still babies. And that's what he's that's what he has an issue with. People who claim to be Christians for all these years and still remain a baby. Do you know it's possible to come to church all your life and still be a baby? It's possible to come to this church for 20 years. Guys like June. June's been coming here since he was, for 23 years, 23, right June, 23? I don't know, 22, 23 years. He's been coming here 23. I don't think June's a baby. But it's possible to come to a church for 23 years and still be a baby. Did you know that? It's possible to be a Christian for three years. And that three-year-old Christian is, more, is older than a churchgoer of 23 years. Did you know that? Why are the Corinthians babies? Three main reasons. Right. Reason number one. They are still looking at Paul and Apollos through sinful categories following categories what, how does Paul describe himself in Apollos he looks at himself in Apollos through God's category verses 5, 6, 4, 5, 6 and 7 he says for when one says I follow Apollos and another I follow, I follow Paul and another I follow Apollos are you not being merely human what then is Apollos and what is Paul service through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul is saying, look, me, Apollos, whoever that you're following, we're just mere human beings. We're just servants of God. We're, we're We're nothing. God just used us to bring growth in you. That's the correct way that that is the absolute truthful way that a person will have to look at himself through the eyes of God. I'm no one special, I'm just the tool that God uses for you. That's the truth. But how did the Corinthians see him? Corinthians saw him as someone who is other than a mere human, like an idol or a deity. Corinthians didn't look at him as someone just a mere human being that God uses. He looked, they looked at him as someone more than a human being, as an idol, as someone to be worshipped. Same as Apollos. And that's what human beings do, right? Human beings look at things in different, in, in, in falling categories. When you kick God out of your hearts, what we, what we in, in evidently do, in, invariably do, when we kick God out of our hearts, we find something to worship. When we don't worship the true God, we always find some, some other things to worship. And the things that we worship, we don't look at it as the thing that they are. We pour more value into those things. And oftentimes, the thing that we worship, the things that we pour more value into things, they're human beings. People worship human beings. Did you know that? Do you want to know how people worship human beings? YouTube, BTS, ARMY, or whatever, whatever they are. These people go insane over uh, how many BTS people are there? Five? Six? <laughs> okay. Seven skinny guys with rainbow, like, like, you know, like, you know, pastel color hair. People go crazy over them. Not simply human beings, right? They're idols of worship. Their title is K pop idol. Surely you don't do that. Right, football fans? Surely you don't do that. We idolize anyone and everyone. Bernie Sanders, folks, God bless them, but they think Bernie is the next messiah. I think Trump, real Trump fans think Trump is like, a saint. We worship anything and anyone. We look at people in fallen categories. Not only people, but we look at things in fallen categories. Jobs are not just jobs, right? Our jobs are not just jobs to some of us. It is our identity. It is some, it is a master that we serve. Our children are not just our children. They're not. I don't know, what some parents view their kids as, as like these holy angels that they got to like breed for success. Sinful categories. Fallen categories. That's, that's why the Corinthians were infants. They did not look at reality as a, through the eyes of God. They look at uh, reality. They look at people and things through fallen idolatrous categories. Do you do that? Second reason, what they're, they're infants, Paul says, not only are they fallen, not only do they look at things from fallen categories, the fruit of their lives. What what they're doing is they're being jealous and they're arguing with each other. Verse three, verse three, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? One of the main reasons is why. Corinthians are still babies, Paul says. It's because the way you are behaving, you're jealous and you're, you have strife and you are arguing with one another. That kind of behavior is a clear indication that you are a baby. What is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that we can work on ourselves. It is a byproduct of a person who walks with the Lord, who is spiritually minded. If you're attuned to God, if the Holy Spirit works in your life, you will bear these fruits. But if you're not attuned to God, you will bear the works of the flesh. According to Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh are jealousy, strife, fits of rage, selfish ambition, judgment. Paul is saying, the fruit of your lives, the judgment and the strife, that's indication that you are a baby. Because a mature person is not jealous or or they have strife. Why did the Corinthians have jealousy and strife over one another? It's back to the first category. The first category is they just didn't view Paul and Apollos through, through godly perspective because Paul and Apollos are more than human beings because Paul and Apollos are just their idols. Everything that Paul and Apollos said and did became holy. And if my idol is holy and your idol is holy, guess what? My idol and your idol, team Paul and team Apollos, cannot get along. Did you know that? BTS fans, who's BTS like number one enemy? Do you know? I don't know, I don't know Korean idols. But back in the day, right? Back in the day, right? Back when I was was a young man, the two major Korean idol camps were H.O.T, so stupid, and this group called Jex Kiss. I don't know what that means, right? Right? Oh man, and these two fandoms, they hated one another. The H.O.T folks and the Jax Kiss folks. H.O.T were like white white balloons. Jex Kiss was like what color balloon was it? Oh, you such fast. Blue, right? So, the blue balloon people and the white balloon people—they hated each other. Even though both sing really stupid, corny Korean songs. When you idolize people, the arch enemy of your idol become your enemy. Cowboys fans and Redskins fans, for some reason, they don't like each other. I don't know why, it's just some, some stupid game. Why idol, when you idolize the person that worships the other idol, you hate them. That's when they're babies. They're looking at people in falling categories, and they're hating the opposing side. Jealousy and strife and selfish ambition is the evidence of the fact that we are babies. If you're mature, your relationship will be love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control. If you're a baby, your relationship will be jealous, strife, selfish, ambition, and fighting. The question is, this morning, what is the fruit of your relationship? What is the fruit the relationship between you and, your, you and your spouse? What is the fruit between you and your employer? What is the fruit of your lives? Is your life, con, con, like, generally, con, does it constitute, does it reflect, Love and joy and peace? Or is it more fighting and jealousy and selfish ambition? Your relationship with the other person reveals your maturity. These Korean churches that constantly fight with each other, within within themselves, they're babies. I followed this sect, I followed that elder, I followed the pastor. They're babies. There are a lot of you who are here from broken churches. Not broken families, broken churches. And you're from broken churches because the churches that that, that broke were made up of babies. Third reason why they're babies. Not only do they look at other other civil categories, not only do they look at, not only is the fruit of their life relationship is just bad. The third reason is, what is the third reason? There is no death of the gospel to them. Paul says, when I came to you, I gave you milk. What is milk? Milk is food that you give infants. And the milk that Paul talks about, when he first came to the Corinthians, he gave them the simple gospel truth. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And God used this simple truth to do a radical transformation within the hearts of the Corinthians. God Paul just simply preached the simple gospel. But years later, they st- their understanding of the gospel still remains very shallow. When you're maturing, the evidence of your maturing faith is that your understanding of the gospel deepens. The gospel is not, yes, Jesus Christ had been crucified. But the depth and the meaning of this the statement has to become deeper and deeper as you mature into Christianity. Spiritual difference between spiritual milk and salad food is not a matter of information. It's not, it's not a matter of information. But the understanding of this eternal truth has to deepen. The more you understand about God, the deeper you will understand the meaning of the gospel. The deeper you understand about your sins, the deeper it will result in your understanding of the gospel. The deeper you understand about who Jesus Christ is, the deeper your understanding of the gospel. The deeper you understand about the fallenness of the world, the deeper that you understand the truth of the gospel. The deeper you understand about death, the deeper that you understand about the truth of the gospel. Eternal truth, Jesus Christ has been crucified, the eternal truth. But your understanding of this truth must be deepened as you mature. But the problem with the Corinthians is their understanding of the gospel still remains very shallow. How deep is your understanding of the gospel? Is your understanding of the gospel no different from your understanding of the gospel when you're in grade school? Remember Sunday school Jesus your Sunday school taught you Jesus Christ died for your sins and you go, "Yay!" Has it deepened since then? Do you know why he needed to die for you? Do you understand really the cause, cause and the significance of why he needed to die for you? Are you deepening in that knowledge, deepening the appreciation of the gospel? Look, in churches... The thing that makes me so sad about church in churches is that I have a lot of brothers and sisters who have experience with a lot of stuff. They went to missions trip. They, have, they knew what to do about ministry. They, knew about, they know a lot about church equipment. They know about a, lot of, a lot of the stuff. And yet, unfortunately, what saddens me is I don't see that many people have a deepening... They have a, not, not a lot of knowledge about stuff, but not that many people have a deepening understanding of the gospel. Their understanding of the gospel is arrested. It arrested when they were in grade school. The glory of the gospel is still a mystery to them. That's what makes the Corinthians babies. They don't know the death of the gospel. Do you know the depth of the gospel, or is your understanding of the gospel the same as when you were in grade school? What is wrong with being a spiritual baby? Right, this is the lawyer part of me. Well, then you know, doesn't matter whether you're a baby. If you're in, if you're in Christ, you go to heaven, right? Right. I can see Sean Kim's argument. Once you're in, you're in, right? You're not gonna get kicked out. So what's wrong with being a baby? whether you become a spiritual baby or a spiritual like, old man, as long as you're in the kingdom of God, you're in the kingdom of God, you're in, right? Very loyally loophole of you. But Paul's argument, concern is this. If you continually remain a baby for years and years, maybe that's the evidence that you were never his in the first place. If you stop maturing, if you never matured, if your understanding of the gospel never deepened, if you still remain in your sinful categories, if you're still always constantly fighting in of other people and talking smack about them, if you're, if you're always like that, maybe you're not a baby, Paul says. Maybe you're a mere human. Maybe you're a natural person. Maybe you're never his. That's the concern. My friend, are you a baby? Are you a mature man, person? Or are you of the world? The way you know that you are not of the world, that you belong to him, It's not your perfection, certainly is not your perfection, but progress. Progress in your understanding of the gospel, progress over looking at other people through your sinful falling categories, progress in the fact that you're bearing more of the Spirit's fruit and not of the fruit of your flesh. That's how you measure maturity. You don't measure maturity through your experience, through your resume. That's not your maturity. I know pastors who are still Babies. I know pastors who served the ministry for 40 years and they're still babies. I know. How do I know? They're the fruit of their lives. Are you a baby? Are you maturing? Quickly, how do you mature? How do you mature? You mature like all babies mature. You eat the proper nourishment, stop eating junk, you eat the right foods. Stop eating junk food. My daughter, if, if, if she had her way, she'd only eat kim and french fries on spam. Kim, spam, and french fries, and, and chocolate. Can she develop healthy that way? She needs to eat solid food, right? We need to eat solid food. What does your diet consist of? Netflix, Korean dramas, YouTube? Is that your diet? What is your diet? Are you eating solid food? Are you into the Word? Not only are you into the Word, do you? are you tied to the Word? Look, oh, I love my mornings. There's a morning ritual that I do. Morning ritual, I get up, I do the exercise thing, EA Peloton, and I start listening to the Bible. I listen, I listen better. I listen to the Bible all throughout the morning on my way. And then in my car, I pray. I, I go to, oh, people think I'm angry in my car for some reason. I pray. And when I go to the D.C.-Virginia border, I put on Alistair Beck, Truth For Life. I listen to his sermon about Ruth. Oh, so great. At 4.58 p.m., you'll see me walking between Vermont and L Street and M Street. And I listen to the Bible over and over and over again, these verses that I preach about. I am saturated with his word. And the reason I'm telling you is not to convey you to you how great a guy I am, but I'm telling you it makes a difference. It absolutely makes a difference. Being saturated with his word. I know you all say you're all busy, and I know you're all busy. But I think I'm a living testimony that you can be busy and still be saturated with God's Word. Saturate yourself with his word. Not only listen to it, live it out. Try to do what it says. 1 James chapter 1, it says if you just listen to the word and not do it, then you're then you're, you're a foolish man. You gotta do what it says. Look, listen to the Bible, it's great. But after listening to the Bible, try to be kind to your spouse. Try to be kind to your spouse, man. Try to be a better worker. Try not to watch the thing that you want to watch. How about that? Try not to gossip. Try not to judge. Try not to condemn. Try not to be sexually immoral. Obey. And also remember, saturate yourself with a good word strive to do what it says, but most importantly, understand where the power comes from. The power comes from the testimony of the Holy Spirit. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 is about. It is the Holy Spirit that testifies to truth about God. It is a Spirit that is working in you. The Holy Spirit is a person of God, and that person is in your life making you grow. So, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If you ignore Him, how will you grow? Listening to me on Sunday is a great thing. It's a good thing. Not a great thing. It's a good thing. But this cannot possibly be enough to make you grow, to make you mature. It's not. As a greater preacher I am, I'm okay, right? As painstakingly I prepare these sermons, which I do, this is not enough for your maturity. Saturate yourself with your word. Obey what it says. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It will mature you. Let's pray. The question that we ask ourselves this morning is a couple of things. Number one, are you, are you, are you of the spirit or are you of the flesh? Are you a spirit-minded person or are you a fleshly-minded person? Are you a natural person or are you a spiritual person? The difference between a natural person and a a spiritual person is are you attuned to the voice of God in your life? Are you conforming to the voice of God in your life? Or are you conforming to the voice of your flesh and the voice of the world? Second thing if you are a spiritual person, are you a baby or are you maturing? Do you understand the depth of the gospel? Are you looking at your job, your spouse, and everything in your life through the categories of God and not the, not the categories of your fallen flesh? Is there a fruit of the Spirit in your life? Are you understanding the depth of the gospel? Are you a maturing? Are you maturing, or are you an infant? If you are a natural person as opposed to a spiritual person, I ask Christ to save you. Ask Christ to give you spiritual antennas so that you will see him clearly. If you are a baby, repent for your childishness. Ask God to work in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life so that you will start to mature. Let's pray for these things and we'll continue. Lord, it is not, before we even go to start with us, we start with you. You come to redeem. You come to atone for our sins. You come to redeem us. And you have made us righteous. When we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. No one can condemn us. Because the only person who can condemn us, which is you, declared us to be acceptable and right. Oh, that is such an incredible position to be in. And we thank you for making us righteous. We thank you for making us your your, your sons and daughters. We also thank you for your patience. Though we are saved, Father, we do foolish things, and we do hurtful things, and we still do a lot of damage. But rather than destroying us as our sins deserve, you continually work in us, and we thank you. Father, we first of all pray for those of us who are in this room who are very nat- still very naturally minded. For those of us who do not have spiritual antennas. For those of us whose categories are fallen, whose appetites are not renewed, whose values reflect more of our flesh and the world and Satan than you. We pray for such natural friends that we have. We pray that you make them spiritual. You reveal the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ in them. May they understand, may they come to living faith in Jesus Christ. This grace that you have showed me and everyone who is saved can be shown to them. I pray that be, it be shown to them. I pray for those of us who are spiritual babies. I pray for those of us, Lord, who are just eating junk food all the time. I pray for those of us, Lord, who are still looking at things and the people in our lives through falling categories rather than through your sight. I pray for those of us who are still constantly judging and fighting and are jealous with one another and are sexually immoral. I pray for those of us who are like this, who are spiritual infants, that you mature us. May the word of God nourish us. May the testimony of the Holy Spirit like, germinate your power in your life inside of us. May you influence our decisions. May you influence our thoughts. May you influ- influence our affections so that we will start to mature. If, and I pray, Lord, that you will, that the same grace that you have, you have shown all the Christians in the past, the same maturing, renewing, life that you give to your people, I pray you will be bestowed upon our church so that our church will be living examples of of, of testimonies of your fruit and saving faith. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.